Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We're deep diving into syndications. Instead of of playing small, we're going to be playing big today and learning exactly how Dan has been able to do it as well. From Minnesota, started off on his very first real estate property, having a nine unit, then a, a duplex, and then jumping right back into a 24 unit. And since then, it's really been Uh, 150 units plus, right? Had a snowboarding career originally. And then now he is part founder of Granite Towers Company and just super excited to be able to hear more about the mindset. And, you know, this guy doesn't play small by any means, which is pretty exciting. So without further ado, Dan, what is happening, my man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. So talk to us. Anybody that doesn't know more about your story, who you are, what you're up to, do you mind just diving in a little bit? Yeah, you bet. You know, I was this I'm an average kid from a small town in central Minnesota. And like many of your listeners, I had big dreams as a kid. And I got super excited about these dreams and decided to go tell everybody about what I was going to do and who I was going to be. So I went and told friends and teachers and my parents how I was going to be this big name professional snowboarder. And I got a lot of pushback. Central Minnesota, that's not something kids do. And after enough you know, comments like, you know, the mountains are in Colorado, Dan, or maybe you want to have a backup plan or, or you know, the question actually was, how, how are you going to do that? Why don't you tell me how you're going to do that? And of course, I'm 11, 12, 13 years old. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to do that. So I'm like, I don't know how. And, and I started to lose confidence quick. So you know, I went to my parents and kind of told them what I was wanting to do. And I just a message for the parents real quick. My mom and my dad were great. They're great people. And they just said, yeah, you should go for it. I think you could do it. Give it a shot. You got nothing to lose. You know, if it doesn't work out, you can go to college then or whatever you want to do. They said, go for it. And, you know, for, yeah, for parents, I believed it. I didn't wonder, are they right? Are they wrong? I was just like, cool, I can do it. So I started on that path. And 10 years later, I finally got to a point where I was good enough to compete. I moved out West. I mean, I was committed to this goal. This is what I was doing. And, you know, when I first had the goal, though, I didn't have this like burning desire. I I had this idea of like, this is really fun. I'd love to do it. And as the years went on, my desire and my goal for that, it just increased until you have this desire where you're like, I'm going to make it at all costs. I'm never going to back down. I'm in all the way. And if you get that feeling, yeah, if 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 you can relate to that feeling, I can almost guarantee over enough time, you will get that goal. And that's kind of how it went. And like I said, I turned 21 and I was broke. You know, I didn't have any money. My parents didn't give me any money. I worked night jobs. Like I'm literally living paycheck to paycheck, snowboarding every day in the, in the daytime and then working at night as a you know bus boy or in the restaurant at TGI Fridays and, and Red Lobster. And finally, there's a contest in Aspen, Colorado. And my really good friend says, hey, Dan, you're good. I'm going to take you to this contest. I'm like, good, because I'm broke. He drives me there overnight enters me into the contest, pays for the fee, pays for the hotel room. 
and it's 230 people. It's an open, you know, any, any open, anyone can go and enter. You just show up. If you think you're good enough and you want to try to compete, you show up, you pay your little fee and you get to do two runs. Yeah. And I ended up making qualifiers. Like you got to finish top 15 to make finals. And out of the 250, I made top 15. I think I finished 10th and I was really bummed. I thought I was going to be top five. And that night I went home and I visualized and thought of these tricks I needed to land and something clicked and with a couple tricks in my mind and went back the next day and I ended up winning the contest. Wow. And, uh, Let's yeah, go. That, was, that was kind of the launch of the career. And from that point on, I already had brands that knew who I was. They, they were monitoring, you know, the progress over the last 10 years. I ended up signing some contracts with some brands within a few months after that contest. And I started traveling the world and I had a really, really great run and I ended up making good money. And, and you know, well, the dream came true, <laughs> but the, yeah. reality, the reality set in quickly because as I was going up this, this ladder of being a snowboarder, I got to meet all my childhood like superstar friends and they were yeah. at elite pinnacle of their career they had these huge careers and they became my friends and but they were a good seven to ten years ahead of me and like any athlete it's coming to an end unless you're mj and you got a you know a billion dollar contract with nike yeah it's coming to an end when it comes to an end it is not pretty and i saw some of my heroes crash and burn and it honestly scared the crap out of me and at that time like many of your listeners i was like, I'm, I can't even retire the next 10 years, let alone the rest of my life. Like, what the hell am I going to really do? Like, I'm making good money, but it's not going to be enough. So that was the point where I was like, I need to get trained. I need to learn about what to do with the money I'm making so that I can transition and still have this kind of passion and this level of freedom and create multiple streams of income, whether I work or don't work. So that's where I started reading all these books. And I ended up coming across a book called Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. It's from the Rich Dad Company, you know, like you got Robert yep. Kiyosaki, right? And, you know, hired his company out of Arizona called ProVision. And these guys were like, hey, you're in a good position. Start buying multifamily, start buying real estate. You're making good money. Let's put it to work where you can start to create passive income. And that was it. I bought a duplex. I bought a nineplex. The first deal was a nine unit deal here in Chehalis, Washington. Let's um, go. 365 grand. And then I, about two months later, I bought a duplex for like 150 grand here in Longview, Washington. Those were my first two properties. And I started to see passive income, you know, money flowing in after you paid all the expenses and the debt, there's money at the end of the month. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I got two, two other streams of income here, just putting my money at work. Yeah. And that idea got me really excited. I'm like, holy shit, if I can just continue to multiply and continue to scale, I can create multiple, multiple streams of income and make that grow and keep that freedom in my life. So that's the kind of my story of, you know, snowboarder. And then, and then obviously we can go from there. Yeah, I love it. I'm really curious if you don't mind sharing, what is a professional snowboarder's like salary at the time? Like when you were doing, I'm just curious, like what does that even look like? Yeah, it totally varies, dude. Like you're yeah. going to have people making 50 grand a year. You're going to have people making a couple million bucks a year. Wow. If you're, if you're the top, top dude and you're the, these contests, Sean White, Mark McMorris, yeah. one of these top guys that consistently is top top of the field, you're going to be in the million and a half to, to even multiple millions if you get to the Olympics and do well. Most of us, 250 to 750 is kind of your range. Okay, is, cool. Yeah. Yep. So, is, and this is back in 2009 to 2015. And obviously things have changed a lot since then. But yeah. at that time, coming from small town, Minnesota, making five, $6,000 a year, working these crappy jobs to making half a million bucks, it, it, it was a totally different world. Oh yeah, dude. That's a huge win. Okay. So you started jumping into real estate all thanks to that company, really just starting to change the mindset and everything. How old were you when you got that first deal? And was it a good deal? What does that look like? 
Well, I got lucky. Part of it was timing. You know, I mean, you okay. kind of pretty much bought anything in 2013. It was right sure. after a huge recession. Prices all pulled back from 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, right? And, and it was just coming back. So my timing was lucky. Well, it ended up being a great return. Um, I don't remember yeah. exactly what the, what the multiple was, but it was a great return. Both of those deals were great returns. I wouldn't buy them anymore. They don't fit our criteria, but at the time it was perfect. Yeah. So yeah, was there, was there more to that question? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. How, how old were you when you first bought that? Uh, yeah. So that was 2012. So we're talking 11 years ago. So I was 27 years old. Okay. 27. Okay, cool. So that was your first deal. 27 years old, jumped in for nine units and you sold that property since then? Yeah, we did. I sold that property probably two, three years later. Again, I can't remember what I bought it for and what I sold it for, but I do remember selling it and thinking, holy smokes, that was, that was easy money. You know? That was no, easy, money. easy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. And then, so you jumped into a duplex after that. Was that your only residential like retail type of buy? Yeah. And that was just because, so I, I was looking at how much cash I had that year to invest okay. in that unit. And then I was like, well, I can only invest this you know, size of a property. So that was the duplex. And I, I think I put in like 45 was what I had left after buying the nine unit deal. And that's why I ended up buying, I went from bigger to smaller, but that was why, because of how much cash I had left. Okay. Love it. And then afterwards you jumped straight back into 24. And since then you really, you know, what was the the spinoff to realize like, dude, I want to stop with, even though these are, you know, good size multifamilies, you're looking to jump into 150 units or more. Um, obviously there's certain metrics, there's like enough cash flow at that point that you can hire on good professionals and so forth and better cash flow. But tell me the mindset behind that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like once I owned the nine plex and the duplex and I saw the cash flow appreciation, the depreciation to save on taxes, the loan pay down that happened. So I was like, man, why wouldn't you just buy a bigger property? Right. So the next year I had enough to buy one big property. And that's where I bought the 24 unit deal. And, you know, at that time it was so such an eye opener for me because I had these investments in, in life insurance and in an IRA and those investments just quite frankly never did well unless i put money in them and i don't know where the funds were going but they never went up and i just decided wow i'm, I'm getting money coming in every month like clockwork here why wouldn't i continue to double down on this asset class versus the insurance policies and iras and after i got that 24 unit done i wanted to buy more but like a lot of you guys you probably run out of cash and you're like hey i don't have any more money to invest in these deals i mean these are this 24 unit deal is a million and a half or something close to that, right? It was it was a good yep. chunk of change. So you end up getting to a point where you're kind of tapped out. And then that point, I was really obsessively talking about this. I'm a pretty obsessive guy. When I get into snowboarding, when I was young, I was all in. And when it came and kind of switched to real estate, I'm, I'm all in. So everyone started to kind of be here and, and, you know, what are you up to? Oh, I'm buying real estate. Why are you doing that? You know, and you just kind of talk. So one of my really good friends, I grew up with them. He came out and visited us and he was buying single family homes back in Minnesota. And I was just like, hey, you should maybe cut the single family homes and let's buy an apartment together. So he and I and one other buddy ended up buying our next deal. And we just, you know, operated that property. I was during my career as a snowboarder still. We had third party management. I'd work at night. He was yeah. doing, yeah, my friend who bought it with me is a life insurance, or he, he sold uh, insurance to high net worth clients. He was doing insurance during the day, working at night. And he's the same guy who we started our company called Granite Towers Equity Group in 2017. 
And since then, you know, we've been through a training program and have worked with someone who had a ton of experience. And we're just in the process of, you know, saying, hey, what are we going to do? Let's do we do this for real? Or are we just going to always be kind of on the side, just doing one off deals every now and then? And that was kind of the moment where we launched the business and both went headfirst into into building this and, and bringing in investors and, and people along the way, friends and family. I love it. So you guys started raising capital, started realizing like, dude, I'm going all in. Let's do this. You found a couple amigos that were like, yes, I believe in it the same way. So let's rock and roll. And then, you know, raising capital when you got good deals at your hand, it's like, I think it's the easiest thing in the world. It depends, you know, how many people are doing it, I guess, and how you're getting the message out there. But I'm curious, how are you getting these deals? Like, what are you guys doing to build the relationships, show that, hey, you're a serious buyer and, you know, going over the due diligence for those deals? Yeah. Getting into a position where we, we buy 99% of our deals from brokers. So yeah. companies that have these deals on the market, Marcus and Millichap, CBRE, Newmark, Knight, Frank, you know, I mean, you name it. Those are the folks we're building relationships with. The sure. challenge in multifamily, as you probably know, and a lot of your listeners know, is that these brokers just don't know if you're going to be the one to actually close the deal. Are you actually yep. the closer or are you just blowing smoke? So yep. it honestly, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of offers. It took a lot of repetition. It took a lot of failure. It took a lot of showing up and touring deals and submitting LOIs before I feel like these brokers started to kind of feel bad for us. You know, I mean, we submitted so many offers and came up short on so many deals it hit a point where, like I said, I, I literally feel like they were like, you got to give these guys, give them a chance. Like, this is ridiculous. We, I think we yeah. had 12 offers and finally got accepted on an 86 unit deal down in Cleburne, Texas, and ended up being an absolute home run of a deal. But it was just time, spending time underwriting deals, being there face to face, doing what you say you're going to do with these brokers, submitting an offer on these deals as you tour them and just building that trust. And, and, you know, yeah. hopefully you get somebody in your court who can vouch for you. You know, if we were doing it again, I probably would have tried to ride the coattails of somebody who's already doing it and get on, get on the team with someone who I really know, like, and trust. And I know they're great operators and just say, Hey, what can I do to add value? I'll be your boots on the ground. I'll do, I'll work for free. Just help me get, get into the space. Then you can at least say, Hey, I'm an owner operator of this 86 unit deal. I help close this deal. Now, when you go make your offer on your next deal, you've got a little bit of a track record, a little bit of a reputation. Yeah. So utilizing the relationships built with brokers is, is crucial and tremendous. When it comes down to identifying the location and so forth, did you guys have location, certain criteria that it was yay or nay, certain you know years and so forth of the building? Yeah, in the beginning, it was a little looser. Right now, our criteria is a little bit more strict, especially after COVID. We've definitely yeah. seen a market shift. Owning multifamily pre-COVID and after COVID, it's more challenging now. Pre-COVID yep. was actually really pretty darn easy. But for us, you know, we like to be in a working class demographic. We're in landlord-friendly, business-friendly states. Yep. We're looking, yeah, we're looking for one-mile median income ranges at least north of fifty-five grand. So if it's not there, we're probably going to lean against it unless we can spot a demographic that we're really comfortable with. But it's more of what's going on in the submarket. Real estate is local. You know, what's happening up here where I live or near Portland, Oregon, we don't ever buy up here, unfortunately, because of the way the landlord laws are and, and, and tenant re resident friendly laws are. 
But sure. you know, when you get down to Texas and you're, we, we buy in Dallas, really Dallas and Nashville are our two markets. You got to get into those sub markets and you got to understand what's going on in those sub markets and what are occupancies like, what are rent projections like, what kind of business growth do you have. And that's the stuff that really will dictate, hey, is this a deal we want to be messing with or not? Yeah, that's good. And you mentioned about what really makes a great operator and finding that person that you know, like, and trust. In your opinion, what, what does make a great operator? Yeah, a great operator, from my perspective, has a really good tune-in of what the pulse is like, what's going on on the asset, and, and being able to predict what's coming based on some very critical key performance indicators. Where is the asset now and where are we trending? Are we trending up or are we trending down? And you're making decisions 30, 60 days in advance of where you're headed based off of based off of some of your KPIs. And those KPIs have got to be measured and monitored on a week by week basis. And unfortunately, a lot of management companies, they're not thinking like the owner. Management company most of the time is just there to fill the property and just get by. When we're coming in as the owners, we build a business plan that's pretty extensive on how we're going to upgrade the property. Like what money are we going to put in this deal and what will that money do for our rent? What will that money do for our other income? And how do we implement it and at what pace? What are the competitors doing in their properties compared to what we're buying? And how much capital do we need to be the best in that submarket? So there's a lot of the day-to-day operations that you needed to be as an asset manager, which the ownership group should have an asset manager that oversees the day-to-day operations with the property management company. And that takes somebody who understands multifamily at a very deep level and can understand these KPIs and has a really good ability to work with other people. Because in this business, you're working hand-in-hand with these management companies. If they don't like you and you're annoying to them, they will turn on you. And if the synergy's lost, these businesses, you're in a business. I mean, so if you're looking to be a passive investor, the nice part about being a passive investor is you don't need to do any of this stuff. You need to connect with people who are willing to do it and who have the education, knowledge, experience that you trust. And so for the people who are passive, I look for people, get to know people, take your time. And that'd be another lesson if I could give anybody is take your time on jumping into deals. But that's a great asset manager in our, they can predict the future and they make the calls 60 days in advance to make sure that when you get to that next 60 days, you're in a good spot. Talking about the KPIs, what other KPIs can people kind of expect before they actually buy the property? You know, like, is there certain things that you guys are looking for as far as the market, certain due diligence that you're doing before closing on it? Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff we're looking at in in regards to the market is number one is you're looking for high level. You know, are you in a landlord friendly state? Are you mm-hmm. in a business friendly state? Are you in a in a place where there's low crime and what's the one mile median income? Once you understand your bigger market numbers, now you're getting into the sub market, and the sub market is going to really tell you what's going on. And you know, you get a lot of these search engines. You got CoStar. You've got ALN, you've got a lot of different engines that can help you try to understand what's going on in the submarket. But at the end of the day, the primary data being boots on the ground, getting in the market and physically shopping the competitors is going to be your best way to really understand what's going on in a market. You know, I can get CoStar data and CoStar might tell me what all the comps are performing like, and then I'll go shop them physically and I'll realize their numbers are a little bit off. And that little bit difference, they can sometimes be massively off too. And that discrepancy, you've got to understand. And I think that's what in the market we're in right now, if you want to be great, you want to make sure you got a great deal, 
The only way you know if it's a great deal is if you can see how you compare against your competitors. Because when you're buying multifamily, you're competing against, let's call it six, seven other apartments, right? It's you versus those six or seven because you're all competing for the best residents. You want to have the best product, best price, best people. And you're trying to, to bring your people in so they have a beautiful, safe place to live. So if you can understand in due diligence what they're doing and what their rent levels are like compared to you, now you can make a plan to say, hey, if we do X, Y, and Z, we will be the best competitor. We will be yeah. the best in this submarket. If you're the best in your little submarket and occupancy is strong at all the comp- competing properties, you're likely to do well if you get your debt set up right. And so talk to me, what is your position within the company? And then you said you have two other buddies that you're doing it with. What, what are their roles? Yeah. So it's just Mike and I, we were the founders of Granite Towers Equity Group. We started okay. in 2017. Yeah, I'm in, in charge of investor relations, acquisitions, asset management. Mike and I, we oversee both both of these cat all of these categories together. I would say he's more on the underwriting side. I'm more on the asset management side. But when we're looking at buying deals, we're looking at them together with our team. Our team actually does majority of the underwriting when it comes to us. We look at it together and we sometimes look at it with multiple general partners because you're making a dang huge decision when you're looking at yes or no on buying a property. And as soon as you submit an LOI in that deal, your reputation is on the line and you're going to be known in this business as someone who closes. You better know when you put that LOI in that you're certain of what you're buying. So that's yeah. a very important part of buying, right? And being known in this industry of having a great reputation. Get that part right. Don't submit an offer unless you feel good about your offer. That's, that's At least that's our model and it seems to be working pretty well for us. Yeah. When it comes down to the rest of the team members, and I mean, I know it's very typical in the space if wholesalers bring you an opportunity and you could potentially partner with them and so forth. But what other team members are working with you guys on a regular basis? Yeah, our CPA is huge. He's taking care of all of our returns each year. He's helping us as we're looking to do cost segregation studies. We have a cost segregation specialist. That guy's helping us with our cost segregation studies to to provide these losses on these K-1s for our passive investors. We're talking to a handful of brokers regularly. We're talking to lenders, brokers on lending team regularly. You know, insurance huge. Having a great insurance team member is absolutely critical in this changing yeah. environment. Having a tax strategy, someone, and and this is property tax. I'm talking now, sure. someone who can help you mitigate your tax liability as property taxes increase. You know, I mean, those are a few that come to mind. Having a contractor, having our asset manager. We have investor relations on our team here at Granite Towers. They work in house. You know, investors are actually on your team. You know, and we when we bring out a deal. And we need to raise 12, 13, 15 million bucks. I can't buy that deal on my own. We're only going to buy it if everyone likes the deal, right? That's that's part of being a general partner. So if you like the deal, you believe in the deal and why it's a good deal, hopefully when you share that with your investor database, they're like, yeah, I see what you see. Let's buy this together. Yeah. When it comes down to the time commitment wise, what is like the fastest and what's the longest deal that took you guys to close? To close. So like LOI to close? Yep. We're usually on a 60-day window from a signed PSA. And that's more, that's more most of the time due to our lending with Fannie and Freddie. We do mostly Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac debt. And sure. they are pretty much on a 60-day close window. And then so speaking of team members as well, I assume because you guys are always doing value add to get all the benefits behind it, they're you know, two big key players that is very crucial is going to be the construction crew as well as your contractor, as well as the property management. Because you guys primarily invest in one 
kind of area within Texas or two areas. Do you guys get to utilize the same type of relationships on a regular basis or are you constantly changing? No. Yeah. We we tend to use the same vendors over and over again. We know how they work. We know they charge ish. They know that they're going to get paid on time. You know, there's good synergy there. Once you have relationships in this business with the right people, you'll know, and it is absolutely critical to do anything you can to maintain those relationships. It's, it's everything. That's good. What learning curves have you gone through during the process? I would say, you know, biggest thing in the beginning for me was mindset. Like you guys know, I'm I'm middle-class Minnesota. I grew up hearing my parents say money doesn't grow on trees, you know, or eat all your food. We, we, you know, we worked hard this week. And I think that when you're coming from that mindset and now you're buying a 30, $50 million asset, whatever it may be, you just have this idea in the back of your head of uh, how, uh, again, how how are you going to do that? You know, like, how are you the one who's going to buy that? And I think that it just comes down to getting around other people who are doing it and breaking through some of those limiting beliefs that, you know, your parents are, they're great people, but yep. they got, they got their beliefs passed on from their parents and so on and so on. So someone's got to step up and say enough's enough. And, and if anybody else has done it, so can we. And that's yep. the reality. That's the reality of life right there is that if anybody else is doing it, get around them, figure out how they're thinking about how they're behaving, it's not going to be easy. I mean, it's probably not, right? You're going to have to put in the work. It's not going to happen overnight. Nothing does. I mean, you have progress overnight, but you're not going to all of a sudden wake up one day with, you know, 15,000 units <laughs> under your belt. That's not going to happen. So I think it's getting around the right people and seeing others succeed and being stoked for those people when they do succeed and, sure. and helping those people in any way you can. And hopefully you can all go together. Yep. When it comes down to the exit strategy, what is the typical exit strategy for your company? Yeah, we're set up on a three to five year exit on our deals. We project, you know, just plan on a five year hold. Sometimes it happens a little earlier. It's either going to be a refinance and, you you know, we come in with our value add strategy. We Mm -hmm. implement the CapEx. We do the work. We hopefully bring rents up to market or to the top of the market. And we have an increased net operating income, which gives us a nicer value. And we can borrow more money and give the funds back tax free. Or if we're top of the market and we realize we can't do much more and we, we maybe aren't excited about that location or it doesn't fit our criteria anymore, and then we'll try to sell it. If the value is there, liquidate and we're all in the same boat. Anybody who invests with us will get their funds back plus their capital gains and they'll be first allowed into the next deal because we're all dealing with the tax consequence at that point. So yep. that's kind of our, our MO. And you know, I think in the last couple of years, what's been apparent for us is just being more conservative with your debt and locking in lower leverage fixed debt. You know, I think all the rage prior to COVID and even after a little bit after COVID was we have these variable rate loans and we leverage it to the moon. And that's just not something that I can handle. Your reputation is everything. So if you can buy a deal with very low leverage fixed debt now, it's likely that as the debt market heals itself, when you go back for a second loan, or if you wanted to refi the deal, you know, down the road, you'll have such a low leverage position that you'll be able to pull some equity. And, you know, people are like, well, you got a prepayment penalty. Yeah, you're right. But a nicer part is if you got cash flow, you just hold, you know, and that's, yeah. I think that's the name of the game is, is buy for cash flow, buy the right location and, and just hold a little bit longer term and let appreciation do its work. Yeah. Talk to me with the rates where they're at right now. There's folks out there that are saying that the multifamily space could be the next thing that kind of hits a crash with the current market that we're in with adjustable rates, because that's the name of the game for a lot of multifamily. They're getting five, 
to seven year type of adjustable rates. And most people in the last couple of years haven't been paying the extra fees or kind of that insurance policy to get it locked in or, or have longer timeframe. So what what is your thoughts on our current market and where some of those companies could potentially be busting? I think there was a couple examples in Texas recently that I forget which area, but started having a little bit of a meltdown. And you know, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, I think it depends. You know, yeah. it depends on how you got yourself into those deals. If you use bridge debt or variable debt and your interest rate is floating you are in a cash negative position, almost guaranteed. Now, if you bought a rate cap, which is like an insurance policy, and you put some money up at close to hedge your risk, basically caps your insurance policy, maybe you're breaking even and you're you're getting by. With that being said, though, you're still going to have to put funds away every month for your next rate cap purchase. That's kind of one, one avenue. This is it's hard to say because it really depends what what happens with the tenure. Does the tenure come down? You know, with SVB breaking and having just this recent you know bank collapse, are we going to now see you know us head into a deflationary period where the Fed has to bring rates down and and we have to cut rates in order to save the economy? If that happens, I think you're going to see a lot of people get really lucky. And and I'm yeah. not saying that happen. That may happen. I mean, it did happen. Yeah. It happened in 2008 and nine, right? I mean, with Lehman Brothers collapse, not much later, they had to start bringing rates down. So maybe that does happen, but I would say also that we're in a unique time where after COVID-19, where they shut the world down and they printed more currency than ever before in the history of the world. So inflation is still here. So I think the Fed's just in a really tough spot. You know, you want to bring rates down to help the economy, but you got majority of the population getting eaten up by inflation. So I can't say this is the right way to go for other folks. I think this is where investors in our position need to come clear on what you're okay with and how you're going to run your business and how you're going to buy and setting your criteria and cut the rest of the you know shit out for, for yeah. lack of better words you know like there's a lot of opinions of how this plays out from my perspective and where we're at it's just, we just feel more comfortable let's let's just project a little more conservative returns let's bring in lower leverage debt let's fix it and let's just if inflation rips all good if deflation hits all good you know i'd rather be in that position than Hey, we got lucky. Let's cash out and take a big win versus, oh, dang, we didn't get lucky. We just lost all investors' equity, which is exactly what just happened in Houston. I think yeah. the people you're talking about over leveraged, yep. poor asset management, poor property management, variable debt, not enough cash. They lost the deals. Yeah, it's a total storm. And I imagine, you know, I'm not that company, but I imagine that they were trying to stay very competitive while raising money for, from the investors with other deals out there because everybody is like hey we're getting 20 you know percent and above so they didn't want to get the average you know 12 to 14 or something they wanted to stay very competitive and it bites you in the ass in some cases not getting the insurance policy not you know putting these other little things in place now for an individual that the grantor the the person that's actually signing for all that stuff um, does that individual just totally get wiped out you know, I don't know for sure how that works because some of these loans are non-recourse loans. So yep. there's a chance. I mean, his reputation is is burned, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I would assume, you know, he, but I don't know what kind of ramifications happen to him. And I hope I'm never in that situation where I have to find out. That's something that I, I hear you not to be. Yeah. So um, I, I hear I, you, buddy. Yeah. I don't know for sure what happened there. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you jumping on today. I have tremendous amounts of value. And how can people actually get a hold of you? 
Yeah, we uh, just go to granitetowersequitygroup.com, granitetowersequitygroup.com, and there's a contact us form. And just push contact us, reach out anytime. If you guys want to talk anything multifamily, I'm always happy to hop on a call, 15, 20, 30 minutes, see if what we do is a good fit for you. I would say just, just take your time getting to know the right general partners. There's no rush. If, I, if there's one thing I could do as I got into this space, I invested passively with several folks and timing was still luckily good, but I would not invest with those people anymore. So until you get that feeling of, hey, this is the right fit for me, just take your time. Take your time, sit yep. on your cash. I mean, if you got cash right now, over the next 6, 12, 24 months, you're probably in a pretty darn good spot because it's likely that cash will will do you well as we uh, see this pullback continue to happen. Yeah, that's good. It's good word of advice. Guys, reach out to Dan by all means. I think he's a, a tremendous amount of value and can potentially help you in many different ways. So connect and get to learn more. Just like you said, take your time. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the next 6, 12 months and longer as well. I, I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity for all of us. So if you guys want to get a hold of me, you can always do so. It's Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments, otherwise facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. And then if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Leave that five-star review after you hit the notification. You get the newest episode every single week on a Monday. Dan, did you have something else? Yeah, I was going to say it also. We'll throw in a, a free book for your investors if they want to learn more passive investing. It's called The Four Steps to Successful Passive Investing. Just things to watch out for and learn more about. Love it. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for you guys as well. And if you haven't already and, and interested as a business owner, real estate investor, we help business owners get up to $500,000 every six months at 0% interest. And we teach you how to do so. Buying real estate with credit, being able to travel hack, being able to focus on business credit, personal credit, fixing credit, and getting a big stack like this every six months at 0% interest. Let us know if you need more guidance and education on that. We are an open book with it. Check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. And you can sit down and have a free conversation with us and chat more about it. So till next time, guys, we will see you on the next episode. Stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.